Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Bumper sticker. sticker. I'm just pretty but sure that was, I was always looking about that, and I was like, man, I take one of those feminism classes. That shit's all different. That's not what they're talking about at all. At all. It's like, I read a Catherine McKinnon book, and it's like, you know, walking is rape. And I'm like, wait, what? That's not, do I have to like get on roller skates? Does that count? And like, I love this thing of like, nah, the message from Jay-Z and Beyonce is not feminist. It's like, motherfucker, no one said it was. You know, it's like, why are you, that's like saying, the it's message from Jay-Z so in Beyonce is not post-structuralist. It's like, what? Who cares? What are you talking about? And I love this thing now is this, it's the, it's the, the, the instinct of the moment is to take all pop culture and drain the fucking fun out of it <laughs> and insert your like idiotic politics. And then you get a piece out of it uh, because. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. A little staccato there. A pregnant pregnant pause. Pretty good. This is uh, your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the uh, news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster of Freethink. This is episode 64. I'm not giving Recorded on the boost. evening of July 6th, 2017. Two hours later than expected because I totally screwed up the booking. Uh, but I am joined here oh, by... Uh, Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. Michael Moynihan, national correspondent of HBO's Vice News Tonight. And uh, in the studio, off microphone, because uh, why not, is our very good friend, Anthony Fisher, who is is here producing, directing, calling the shots. We are going to occasionally throw shade his way, and because he doesn't have a mic, because there's only three. He's a renaissance man. No, but he's got that booming voice. He's he's a booming Fisher. He does not need a voice. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, and 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 for those out there who don't, I mean, Anthony Fisher has been a guest on the podcast. He has twice. He uh, writes. Uh, this is number three for the, 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 no the week and the Daily Beast, and uh, used to write for Reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, man, he knows a lot. He's a Renaissance man, and I found out today that he's referenced uh, negatively in a book that he just uh, is that got, right? Yeah, yeah denigrated yeah. in a book. Yep. Also, director yeah. of a film. It's a book about the Holocaust, and he weirdly is mentioned, in it, and they Whoa. denigrated him. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. He's I, apparently in the industry they call him a denier. Huh. I don't know what that means. But that is. Really, yeah. uh, next time when he has yeah. a microphone, he could maybe. This is fucking you know, amazing. He doesn't have a it, microphone because like, yeah, I can just, just insult him and yeah. he just sits there <laughs> yeah. like a, a kid in timeout wow. in the corner. Wow, chair. I didn't realize. Yeah, that, that he that was is unfortunate. Yeah, well, we <laughs> yeah. would certainly not have yeah. him on this program again. Ooh, we should we get go, him out of the room. Did we go from zero to Holocaust <laughs> denial in 90 seconds? I think we that did. was a little long today. Yeah. 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 I try to get a little faster, like the Testarossa of, uh, of uh, <laughs> zero to 60. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I thought you were the Omarosa. I'm good for us. Well, I mean, this is... Don't flip it. We're coming off of a holiday week. Um, mm, it's been a, a bit brutal for me. I read. What did you do for the holiday? Come I on. read 22 books and I, I wrote a script for a thing that I've been working on. Actually, Anthony uh, Fisher has been helping with that as well. Um, but I won't talk about that thing. But I did read a bunch of books. Did you stay in town? Reread a few books. Stayed in town in Bed-Stuy, um, it, which is pretty much Baghdad on the weekend. Not because people are getting shot, but because there are constantly fireworks. Shocking off. And I mean, the fireworks <laughs> began at some point in early June. <laughs> 
they continue <laughs> through now, the night yeah. of July 4th. Th- those are not fireworks. Those are not fireworks. fireworks. Yeah. I, I think it's mostly fireworks. I'm pretty sure. He's conv- you are, by the way, you are, it's deaths. like Baghdad. You're like Baghdad, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> These are not uh, gunshots. They are the fireworks <laughs> from the kids. Dude, it's yeah. Shoot, their guys are shooting shit. Up I feel like there. I'm I'm always talking about uh, talking Bed-Stuy. about Bed Stuy. We should actually do. We'll record a show in Bed Stuy, and we could open it with live from Bed for Stuyvesant. Mm. That's what we'll do. Uh, there you, you go. You see what I did? I there? did. You flipped it. I'll, I'll go. Which is uh, also yeah. also go referenced on the new Jay uh, album. Jay yeah, has yeah. A, a song where he talks about. I hear that's Jay garbage. Did you guys listen to the new the Jay, Jay Giles band? No. Who's Jay? The new Jay Z album. I heard four, that it's, uh, it's only two letters. Just say Z too. It confused me otherwise. Jay or Hove, people understand. People who Who's are in Hove. Let's, uh, you and I can talk about this, Matt. You at least have talked. Matt to just other looked at his own. Fucking Hove is. You, Who's you? Hove? I, I think it's a sexually transmitted condition. <laughs> yeah, got it from the Hove. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know what the Hove Said is. Said no one ever. Said me this weekend. <laughs> That's. I had a great weekend. There's no judgment here. That's I was fine. doing. I was getting the Hove. Good for you. <laughs> All up in the Hove. <laughs> Oh, it's great. What what book did you reread that you liked? What book did you read? Did you well, read no, that you read, liked the best? So I read two two. Well, Chamber I mean, of the Secrets. book that I read that I liked the best was uh, Letter to a uh, Young Contrarian, which I'd never read. Really, yeah, it's great. I'd never read it before. It's great. It's really which good. look, if you guys have read this book mm. and I've never read this book, yeah. shame on you. Really? Because I discover that Mr. Hitchens and I have very similar views on race. Mm. And identity politics, mm. which is shocking to me. Like he thought race was nonsense and that self-identifying in that way was nonsense and would not fill out forms and check the box white um, and would actually push back when folks were like, no, oh, no, you got to check that box. He was so He would white. write human race on uh, on He was, was English. On he his was documents. Yeah. Uh, it's different. I don't know what he did in real life. I know what he wrote in the book. The book is spectacular. I really enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed the digs at Milton Friedman that happened. uh, That's what I was going to say. As we were texting about this, you pointed this out, that um, that was written. I don't believe that that Christopher ever became a conservative. He he never believed it either. It was just the Mm -hmm. Iraq thing. But that was before 9-11. That was before the break with the Nation magazine. And he was always that kind of contrarian. I mean, he wrote a piece about abortion for the Nation magazine once, once in which he was like, yeah, not 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 a huge fan of abortion. (laughs) And people went crazy about it. He he did this. uh, He didn't ever decide to undergo abortion to see if it was actually really abortion. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Graydon Carter asked him to have a have a full term okay. uh, yeah yeah he's 780 weeks um, <laughs> we should point out for listeners yeah. here who, do, who don't know but uh, michael was pretty friendly with uh, with chris rich and spent a lot of time with him i did yeah, yeah. uh but that 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 uh, the book is great because it was before all that happened and uh before i mean he, near towards the end of his life he would still <laughs> like defend lennon if given enough really? alcohol well he, he liked being contrarian that way but um that's, but that's uh, I, I actually remember having a conversation which he defended lennon yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it's a really interesting thing is that that it still appeals to you. Like if it was a regular nation magazine writer who was a, still a very good writer, yeah. I don't think he'd get through it. I mean, he's he was interesting enough throughout his career. And that kind of 9-11 thing really isn't the kind of breaking point, I don't think, for no, him. No, no, it, it was interesting to read him and to not have any of that yeah. um, in the book at all. There are certainly some God is not great uh, elements sure. there, but it is it really is a spectacular read. And I I appreciate the things that I disagree with him on that he is obviously wrong about. Um, because those yeah. those defects... 
Yeah. Like leave a little room for for my greatness to uh, to increase. On the cat and the capitalism thing yeah. is really funny because, you know, he was a member of the Socialist International and that he was a trot in his in his younger years and he, uh, but he did say that that in that and again it's a different than becoming a conservative. Um, he did say that he'd shifted pretty far away from. Um, Socialist actually said that in an interview with Reason Magazine too, but uh, I remember talking to him. I think I have this on tape because we were. I was going to write something. I was going to do something. I didn't actually end up doing it, but he said a very funny thing in two thousand seven or eight. It was two thousand eight when when um, right before Obama was elected, and he, he said, <laughs> "I remember this." He said, "He said Michael." Walmart has done better community organizing than Barack Obama ever did. <laughs> and I thought that was really funny. It was just like, and I remember that there was, I was at his house the night of the election and he did, he, was, did he shed a tear? Did he get emotional? Well, no, it was a great, I'll tell the stupid quick story is that he got really drunk and then went and did a television appearance for BBC, came back and wrote a column in 20 minutes for the daily mirror who he was covering the, the thing for came into this room where everyone was watching um, at first, you know, John McCain's speech in um, Arizona. And then when Obama was in Chicago and there's a pack, pack full of people and very DC kind of crowd and everything. And he walked in. <laughs> this is true. And Joe Biden was like walking up the stage and like waving. And Christopher came in and like just under his breath said, and there's the great commuter. And then walked out. <laughs> and, and literally walked out. I, no, no joke. I, I have uh, someone that we were just talking about earlier yeah. um, who was, uh, was next to me well, could, could confirm that. So it was very, very funny. W- wonderfully timed, great comic timing and walked out. That is strong. Um, but, but yeah, that's it. But you also read Hugh Pearson's book again, I did. You? I did. Shadow of the Panther, which... You can't get on Kindle right now. Mm-mm. Although I had one, there is a service where I will order books, send the books to this service. They will create an ebook and destroy the actual paper book because I can't. I don't. I live in New York. I don't have a place to put those things. Um, and send me an ebook. So I have an ebook of this thing. So Do actually, you? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Oh my god, this that's is, great. I guess this is piracy. I'm admitting to. Well, you. Right? I like would it. feel bad about it. <laughs> Whatever. Bad about, but but if Hugh not for you, I wouldn't have bought himself. it. So I, I think yeah. he committed suicide. Well, it was probably in a state. But so in either case, this book yeah. is brilliant. This book is uh, a history of the Black Panther Party, and it actually begins with the uh, sleeping carporters Car- porters, yeah. in San Francisco, like sort of laying the groundwork. Then it takes you. I think he starts through. in Chicago and then to San Francisco. Yeah, because it was a very yeah, big sleeping. Car. Yeah, but I the, actually, it, was it, the starts, Pullman, it starts yeah. with the with the death of Huey. I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah, ruining yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, Huey yeah. P. Newton died in a he crack was, deal. He was shot to death. It wasn't even a crack deal. He was bumming crack from people by the end That's of his a life. Type of deal, but I suppose <laughs> it's so. just a bad but, deal. But it's it's a remarkable story, and it is so far removed from the mythology surrounding the Panthers. And it is so much more interesting than the mythology surrounding the Panthers, as is just sort of the rich. um, And and I can't say that he sort of creates all these characters because he doesn't. It's very much like a journalistic uh, exposition of this period and this person in, in Huey P. Newton, who really is the, the the person around which all the action is happening. Mm. But I found myself just really taken with the contrast between sort of the Southern civil rights movement and what was happening on the West Coast, which for them, it was almost like watching it on TV. The situation, the civil rights situation in San Francisco was so much different in terms of them having numbers, being in this place, having had essentially a generation of people who had built businesses and had business unions. They were still dealing with discrimination, but it was very different. 
And by the time it's sort of towards the tail end of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King is assassinated and his power is sort of waning at this point. But things and the are Panthers just hated getting him. going. All of the black power they all uh, sort of movement, that generation, they hated all of the heroes of the civil rights sure. era that we celebrate today, like James Baldwin and Martin Luther King. They were all sellouts because they weren't willing to go far enough. They celebrated Malcolm X and apparently forget that Malcolm kind of moved away yeah. from a lot of the the more uh, polarizing things that he was engaged in. But it's a super fascinating read. Um, both of them were really, really interesting. Um, I and, think it's really interesting, yeah. especially to read now, because um, we're in a moment of when we talk about race in mm -hmm. particular, and especially among young people, that we're in this moment of, I mean, remember the early 90s where the Martin Luther King holiday um, happened, and it was, I think, New Hampshire and Arizona that were holdouts, and everyone was sort of turning their fire on these states for, for, for you know, not being with the times. By, by the way, I was at a, I saw Public Enemy play in 1992 in Arizona. They opened, uh, along with the Sugar Cubes, they opened for U2, and wow. Chuck D came out, did By the Time I Get to Arizona, That's which right. is a great song, by the way, dropped the mic and walked off. Oh, in protest of the Martin Luther King holiday thing. That's great. Uh, but at the time, you know, in univer uh, colleges, universities, you know, it was, uh, you know, a federal holiday, et cetera. Um, that was the moment of like, you know, deifying people like King. And mm -hmm. then, you know, two generations away, I guess, or a generation it ago, flipped. It's, it flipped in I a mean, really go, dramatic way. Go back and read the uh, Ron Paul survival report and these kind of things. They they heap incredible you amounts. You had to bring all, that up, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, the Rockwell, Rothbard report, all the kind of like libertarian They should movement. have added a third R there, the racist Rockwell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those guys are just fucking racist. I'm sorry. Hey. Go ahead. Yeah. You know what? I, I think it's an amazing thing, just to get a side thing, is that what ideology does to people and wh how desperate people will be to excuse things that are just patently racist as that were in those newsletters. What, you mean people being fleet-footed and then stealing your stuff on, like, welfare days? I mean, it's, yeah. Like, yeah. Neil's like, that's not racist. That's yeah, racist. I know. I didn't, we're I didn't just say talking that. about the welfare yeah, state. But it's, it's like, it's amazing to the, 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 you know, people twisting themselves into all these But it's, it's also amazing to see the same kind of people. If you go to lourockwell.com, uh, starting about five, six years ago, they went from every Martin Luther King Day being a discussion of like, well, you know, he was actually a socialist and, and a plagiarist and, and all this and kind a of stuff. Yeah, to now yeah. he was, you didn't really understand how far he went to anti-war in like 1967. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Like, exactly. Like, exactly. like it's flipped. There's nobody left. Yeah. yeah. But in 1988, 1989, there were plenty of people. I mean, John McCain, if I'm not mistaken, voted against making this a federal holiday. Like yeah. we do not think at all that John McCain and like any kind of possible race baiting are in the same uh, sentence unless you get, you know, buses chops. Look, saying, I allow go, people in movement on these things. I allow people to change their minds. I don't one, know. One, one hopes that they do. One I mean, hopes I that they do. I think that yeah. ought to be the standard, that we hope that you change your mind and are not forever a bad person. But why is it that we always assume ideas? that it's disingenuous? That the changing of the minds? Yeah, I mean, everybody... The holding the, holding I don't, the original I, opinion. No, the, the changing of minds, because I always find this weird, because, you you know, if you've experienced something yourself, you're often more likely to sympathize with somebody who's experienced the same thing. Mm. All of us have experienced shifts in our imagination, shifts in our kind of, you know, intellectual beliefs. Sure. I don't know why we default to thinking somebody who does this themselves, maybe it's because they do it professionally, are doing it in a disingenuous way. People get into the field of 
politics or political commentary, especially because they have ideas that they want to propagate them. It seems counterintuitive to, you know, or kind of productive to actually go out and, and express ideas publicly for a living that you don't believe. I never understood that. And I, and I know people that actually do. I, I've seen it before. But I think that there's, I think like Jeff Sessions, for instance, who I find to be the most like repugnant person and uh, for a whole number of reasons. But I had a conversation with a, with a coworker today about this. And she said to me, she's like, you know, Jeff, Jeff Sessions, she made a point. She's like, he's doing the, it's the drug war all over again. He's doing the eighties drug war. Yeah. He's actually speaking. She sent me an email tonight. He's speaking at a dare conference. Remember dare? Oh yes. Uh, in, yeah. in, in Texas at the wonderfully named gay Lord convention center, which probably gives him shivers down his phone. Got one of those in DC. Yeah. One of them in DC too. Well, Maryland actually. On the other but side she, but she, she was saying that, that, you know, I, she's saying, I believe he actually had an awakening on sort of race issues that, you know, were what was sort of something that he was born with. Uh, in the, the sort of milieu that he grew up with. And he actually, she believed, and this is, by the way, somebody who's not sympathetic to Jeff Sanchez in any way. And I just think that we don't, you know, I, I can acknowledge, I don't think, you know, Lou Rockwell, that's the guy's name, right? Yes. Llewellyn he's Rockwell, the one, yeah, he's the one who's saying, I always feel like someone's watching me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a Rockwell joke Some, that I think like that uh, Anthony Fisher got. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Hear yeah. Baritone laughter <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who married Barry Gordy's daughter? I think is that true? Yeah, I think that's true. Not not Anna, the same one that married Marvin Gaye. No, a different I mean, one. It always I mean, comes back to Marvin Gaye with you. I, I love Marvin Gaye. Marvin right. Gaye was remarkable. He is the single greatest recording artist in the history of mankind. You know who disagreed with you? Anyone? His is. father. <laughs> yeah. Well, his his dad was a bad yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. Uh, if, if yeah. 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 Uh, of and a, and of Marvin Gaye. Not just that there's anything wrong with that. No, that's unrelated to his murderous rage against his true. son. And know. that's what I'm always telling people that if someone is cross-dressing and they're also, a I don't murderer, think that's a term you, you use anymore. Do, do you remember What's how that? like back cross-dressing? <laughs> Yeah, oh. murder is, oh. is uh, anger management issue. I don't issue. know these things. Do you remember how back in the bar I was saying, like, uh, let's make sure to like do little bullet points about what we're going to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I yeah. have them. We're on Marvin Gaye. So we, right we do have, <laughs> we do have some things, and actually, it's not Sorry. it's not unrelated to some of the some of the setup. I'm 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 straining here. I mean, but <clears throat> coming off of July Fourth, there there were some terrible things that were tweeted, and some delightful things. I I, I would be interested in what you guys did, but I'm more interested in the things that you saw that outraged yeah. you, and perhaps more interested in just giving myself an opportunity to talk about something that outraged me. Apparently, CNN and this mm -hmm. their battle with Trump continues. Mm -hmm. uh, the day after we finished recording, there was something that happened, so we will talk about this. CNN blackmail scandal. The president is in Poland and uh, North Korea is still firing off rockets and stuff. They, they won't cut it out. Uh, and apparently this also happened on July 4th because they're very patriotic. There. Yeah. They care a great deal about America. A rocket. Uh, so they, they want us to. <laughs> I did that for Matt. That was. Thank you. That was fine. No I don't have any problem That's with true. that, actually. So yeah. perhaps we, we start with uh, with the 4th of July. And, and uh, what did you gentlemen see? Were there any any articles, anything on the, the social webs that that really just just got you? really stirred your loins i uh <laughs> that's that's how that works yeah 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 this that's is, what that means <laughs> this is what it means i liked an article that's exactly right i stirred my loins that's what really, always happens to maybe me. you're wondering what the people who aren't rich and who don't uh fly first class what they do on july 4th in new york they stay in new york so uh i, I, I was here i, I was just working. pictured you like walking around with those chinese women like picking up cans Huge <laughs> bags that so you can't even cans. believe how many cans they have in a bag. God, so many cans. Uh, no, you know I, 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 like, <laughs> I keep looking to Anthony for some confirmation, and he's like, 
shaking his head now. I stayed the hell Don't away say from those things. I stayed the hell away from all uh, media and went to Coney Island like a like a man at nine o'clock in the morning. It's like a man, like a Jewish immigrant from the twenties. <laughs> I heard the sound. We were, That's amazing. We were talking earlier about uh, about corporal, <laughs> corporal punishments in Camille's uh, uh, fancy new neighborhood. Um, I heard this sound, and yeah. it's like. You know how if you've been in a car crash, you, the sound of metal on metal stays with you for the rest of your yeah. life? Well, there's another sound, which is parent thwacking the living crap out of a kid. Mm. Um, and I heard it, and I, and I hadn't recognized it in a while because it doesn't happen a lot in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I looked, and it's just like this Russian like uh, babushka as yeah. thick as a, as a New York Mets second baseman just went, yeah. fuck. And just like smacked the crap out of her like eight year old kid in the back in uh, Coney yeah. Island. So that was my uh, patriotic. Really, your patriotic thing was was uh, watching a Russian person more. abuse their child. Yeah. That's a kind of an American. Patriotic I was thing, I wasn't right? expecting you to go there, Moynihan. Do you have anything a little more on message? On uh, no, I told us? you a story before the podcast stories? about. Uh, Exposing an, uh, the son of a Nazi scientist at a party on the yeah. Fourth of July, which is far too involved to explain here. But that's a I hell of a that. story. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. We should actually just devote like an entire. Podcast I think I'm going to do a special episode about this. Can we get him in here? Um, I don't. I, we'd probably have to trick him. Yeah. And with like you know, tell him there's a plate of sausages in here or something. <laughs> so let me just let me just. So I mean, that is great. We don't want to retell the story. But no, I'm like, not. But like when you when you meet no. uh, an octogenarian German. Yes. In America. Yeah, Nim Hans. Nim Hans, yeah. who pronounces his name in a, in in a, a particularly German, German way. way yeah. um, do you, like, it, it just goes automatically to you to immediately ask them a question sure. in German? Yes. Just like, so, like, it, like, you don't have to think. Yes. Hmm, this might be a Nazi or a son of a Nazi. It just, like, it just kicks in. This is what we do. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. No, it's the, I mean, it's the, you know. How many have you smoked out uh, with gusto? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Matt is actually uh, right Matt there. actually is uh, really referencing a, a blurb from his John McCain book uh, that uh, say, smokes him out with gusto. I think it was Todd Gitlin. It was Todd Gitlin who yeah. said that. The, uh, yeah, I do that. I, when I found when I I mean, if someone who's in their like early eighties. Uh, says, you know, my name is Hans and I'm from New Jersey. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> what about the, so? What about the uh, the someone our age, uh, German uh, named, you know, whatever. Uh, who like grew up in Argentina and their and their family came to Argentina? As, I would immediately it's a, say it's a thousand percent Nazi, or is I, it just like I, I would immediately say Nazi. that you know, oh, when did your your parents are Argentinian? And they would say they're German. I'm like, oh, when did they go to when did they? And you just start doing the math in your head, right? Yeah. Well, the Queen of Sweden is uh, is uh, a, a a German of. Um, Brazilian descent or, or Argentinian descent or something like that. But I mean, I always it always made me weird. Tom Brady's wife. Is a Brazilian named Giselle Bunchen, so, you know? So Nazi is what? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I don't know. Has anyone done any work on this, Anthony? Can you uh, uh, fact check this? I, w- I wish I could say she was Nazi, but they predated. Uh, they were they were in Brazil before then. Oh, they were. Oh, they were they were proto Nazis in Brazil. That. They were they were rich <laughs> yeah. enough to forge some documents. Well, the the um, uh, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche's uh, sister Elizabeth. Uh, moved to South America, I think, in the late 19th century to start a colony called Nueva Germania, uh, New Germany, which was going to be an Aryan uh, colony in the the middle of the forest. And there are remains of it that, that, that exist in the forest. Uh, you can actually go to it. And there's a bunch of in, like Ver- legitimately inbred weirdo kind of had the opposite effect of the master race. Has Werner Herzog done a documentary yet? <laughs> I think I'm those are the people that were so savage. Well, I think they were the nature. people yeah, that were 
the dragon, the head. Indifference yeah. to man. <laughs> yeah, we'll just cut that out in post. Yeah. yeah no, you're... thank you. So anyway, July 4th. Um, yeah. uh, the one thing, and I can pivot for us there, is, uh, is that, um, you know, anyone wants to email me, I'll tell you the Nazi story in private mm-hmm. on email, which you can then post on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I came July, in. July 4th. Uh, yeah, yeah I, was in a, I was in Massachusetts, and I came, I was in a place where I didn't have Wi-Fi. And didn't have a phone signal. And I came inside, and I guess it was the day of the day after, and there was a flurry of buzzes and alerts and dings and the rest of it. And I heard journalists packing their suitcases all around Cape Cod to get on ferries and planes because there was a tweet from the president about CNN. Mm. And CNN, rather than just taking the high road and just saying, oh, God, they go into this full defense, you know, got to defend the First Amendment, Got to defend the sanctity and the freedom of the press. And I'm like, wait a second. It was a video, a video of a Trump wrestling someone with a <laughs> CNN logo for a head. Superimposed. And then I'm just like, at that point, I'm like, what the fuck is happening in the world? Like, I, I'm not even offended anymore because this doesn't even rank as the most like sort of, you know, horrifying, rancid things that have ever come out of Trump's fat little fingertips. It's just mystifying to me. And they play into it. And it's just this. This, what is the opposite of a virtuous cycle? Vicious. <laughs> a vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. I knew it was a V. It uh, was, it, they went from zero to uh, this is a terrible attack on press freedom in like 90 minutes. I, I thought like it would take them longer. Like you have to, because it's a gif. It's yeah. a comical, stupid gif. And of course, the president is, is ridiculous. It's a gif of the president actually at a worldwide wrestling or is it, no, it's just World Wrestling Federation at the time. I think it was WWF I, back then. We, we don't Maybe it was WWF. We don't have to respect the initials. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But in either case, he is. He, was, he, he I definitely think wasn't he was the actually, wildlife fund. He was spearing Vince McMahon. I think that was the move. Oh, yeah. Um, and he takes him to the ground. And for anyone who do doesn't you realize know. You're talking about the president I do. I do. <laughs> but, but for anyone who career? doesn't know. Like wrestling is fake. Yeah. So he wasn't actually hitting him. He was entertaining. The president is a television star. Like this is what he did before he got his new job on Pennsylvania Avenue and he, TV. And it's and funny. He tackle people occasionally. We've gotten so used to it that people don't. People pull out as you do typically, and you know, pull out a sentence or the most relevant detail of a press conference or something. And today, when the president was in Poland, uh, that when he was with the Polish president Duda. Um, he was talking, there was, there were like uh, two questions that were allowed. Um, and it was David, what's his name? Martsoko or Martoska or whatever, um, who he tried to hire at one point actually for the White House. It's true. He, he, he's, he, he, he ran the daily caller at one time and he called on him naturally, which is like, you know, it's like, it's, it's like Alo Presidente, the Hugo Chavez show, like calling a sympathetic kind of journalist. Um, and he asked a question. If I may, I have to ask about this. Since you started the whole wrestling video thing, what are your thoughts about what has happened since then? I mean, CNN went after you and has threatened to expose the identity of a person they said was responsible for it. I'd like your thoughts. Yeah, I think what CNN did was uh, unfortunate for them. As you know, now they had some pretty serious problems. And in the answer to the question, nobody even nobody even notices anymore. Like literally no one notices. And the question, by the way, had the phrase, CNN went after you, Mr. President. And so you're <laughs> setting up. And uh, he, in his answer, has talked about The Apprentice. Uh, they have been fake news for a long time. They've been covering me in a very, uh, very dishonest way. 
Do you have that also, by the way, Mr. President? But CNN and, and others, I mean, not others, NBC is equally as bad, uh, despite the fact that I made them a fortune with the aggressors, but they forgot that. But I will say that uh, CNN has really uh, taken it too seriously, and I think they've hurt themselves very badly, very, very badly. And what we want to see in the United States is honest, beautiful, free, but honest press. We want to see fair press. I think it's a very important thing. We don't want fake news. And by the way, not everybody is fake news. But we don't want fake news. Bad thing. Very bad for our country. <laughs> like, seriously, he just, it's the way he views the world is ratings and, and, and rivalries and feuds and keeping in mind, and people very rarely have ever pointed this out, he used to write letters and give tips about himself, et cetera, to page six. And to, to sometimes see, under a pseudonym. Uh, sometimes under a pseudonym. And to, to, that he used to name his child. And sometimes on the phone. Actually. Oh, that was the, well, I guess the Washington, Washington Post. Post. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But when you see the world that way, mm-hmm. like through the prism of a gossip column, Right. And that's how he interacted with the press before, like his divorces, all this stuff. And the whole thing is this one big psychodrama gossip thing to him. And he's like, I'm going to attack Mika and Joe. And we talked about this last week. And it's like nobody fucking knows who those people are. They have like a, and he's like low rated, the low rated program. And I say, if they're low, why do you even pay attention? <laughs> who cares then? I mean, if something on, on, you know, whatever, like, you know, some 2, 2 a.m. show on FX attacked you, would you attack them back? But so he's talking about The Apprentice next to the Polish president. <laughs> it's like so bizarre. And he's like, and he also started the press conference. And this was scripted. He started the press conference by saying, you know, Polish Americans, they came out and they voted for me. Yeah. He's still talking about the election. No, well, this, I mean, this, this is it's so crazy. Yeah. This is not just in the press conference where uh-huh. he's working off the cuff and he's doing weird stuff. That this bit was, was scripted, actually. This was in his speech right. in Krasinski yeah. Square. He says, uh, the Poles <laughs> have not only greatly enriched this region, but Polish Americans have also greatly enriched the United States. And I was truly proud to have their support in the 2016 election. Yeah. Well, this is that's so a, he said it twice. Actually, that's that's not an. He said it in the press is, conference. But this too. is part of this is part of the reason for for the visit. I mean, he he expected fully expected uh, a warm reception there. And fully expected the warm reception because this was all discussed ahead of time. Mr. Yeah, President, there was yeah. support. I'd We've like to push back you. on that because I mean, this, there was a lot of uh, reporting about uh, how the Law and Justice Party right, yeah, um, Justice, yeah. um, had uh, in organizing this kind of rally and picnic uh, that they had on the uh, the square to commemorate the Warsaw Uprising of 1944, uh, that uh, each person who was invited was— what, what's 43? Go ahead. Wasn't it 43? I think it's 44. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Coin toss. Everyone uh, has computers and Google. You can, you can like, Anthony, Anthony can be the Andy Levy. Right <laughs> uh, uh, but anyways, uh, uh, that everyone was encouraged to, to bus 50 of their closest friends uh, yeah. to come there. And people were talking about that. Like, oh, Trump wants a, a warm place. Sure, he wanted a place with a warm reaction. But I think ideologically, there was something uh, interesting and significant about Trump choosing Poland. He could have just as easily chose Hungary. Yeah. Um, which would have been uh, uh, also an interesting move because both of those places 
Um, in general, American presidents love to go to Central Europe because they get a more fresh injection of America love, for one, because mm -hmm. they're less so cynical about America and have fresher memories of us being Not good. many places you can go for that these days. Yeah, it's true. I mean, this if, is- If you're Donald Trump. Obama did this uh, uh, to a lesser extent, but George W. Bush did this a lot. He would mm -hmm. just go to Prague. He would go to Krakow. To get, Tbilisi. Yeah. To, just to get like jolted up on, yeah. on uh, like democracy and love and, and talk about this kind of stuff. But also from Trump's point of view, and this comes through in his speech, which we'll talk about later, um, is, is that for him, it's a really important value that these countries are rejecting Brussels style European Union kind of multilateralism. And it's a it's a it's a reclamation of sovereignty there. So, yes, he knew that he would get a good reception and all these kind of things. But it's also uh, true that he wanted to emphasize he likes that Europe. Yeah, he likes the Europe. And this is true also true of National Front. He later denied a favoring National Front against Macron and whatever party he uh, has just dominated the French politics uh, now. Uh, but he clearly did um, preference National Front because they were skeptical of multilateral European institutions, as is Donald Trump, in the name of sovereignty. Um, but I think that that governed him much more in going that Yeah, way. well, it's also, I mean, think of the two reactions that he got. I mean, it was it's pretty clear that law and justice, uh, which has taken a, a sort of Trumpian, um, I would say worse than that, a more authoritarian turn. And, mm -hmm. and it's, I mean, they've... It's it's depressing and distressing and 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 you know to have Lech Valencia in the front row of the speech, which you know he acknowledged at the beginning and he waved and I saw in the cutaway that he was sitting next to Rudy Giuliani. By the way, um, it not really mentioned. It was just like you could see Giuliani jowly and clapping like a psychopath right next to him. But um, you have uh, you know it's the, you know and, and and Lech is a big Catholic. I mean his his whole thing is is sort of labor union Catholicism of such. A thing exists. I mean, I just created. I, I think I just. I think I might have mentioned it to you guys, or mentioned it once, once here when I interviewed, like Valencia. And he went crazy in this long jag about how robots are replacing workers, and we have to destroy all the robots. I was like, I think he's going a little bananas. Uh, but he's been there. For he's a while. been there for a while. But the thing about it in, in in Poland in this reception is whether or not they're being bust in. I mean, there is something that resonates with Trump-style politics in, in, in places like Eastern Europe. I mean, you know, Hungary is a good example. Germany is obviously very different. So if you look at the speech in Poland, doesn't matter how curated it is, you can't curate a speech like that in Germany. You can't. I mean, you couldn't find 25 people to do that in <laughs> Germany. You probably, you know, give them a, like a shawarma and say like, you know, okay, can you, can you, can you come? And you get nothing. You get no response. Whereas, uh, you know, the reception he got uh, when he lands in Germany is it's, kind of a reception for him and kind of a reception for the G20 in general, but is riots and people burning down stores and the black block anarchist guys going out in the streets. And there was a photo that I saw today with an, uh, an enormous sign and it was like, you know, destroy capitalism or something about capitalism. And you see these all over. You're not going to see that in Poland. Because capitalism was destroyed in Poland and the replacement really didn't uh, sit well with the Poles. So you have less of a, you know, radical far left movement. Now it's a generation away. So it's coming back and there's some smaller, younger people. But the difference in the receptions in Poland, you know, constructed or not, the ruling party is quite fond of Donald Trump. Yeah. And and he's looks the other way as he does in Budapest, which is a slightly different situation because they're much more kind of a client state of Russia at this point, And Poland hates Russia, always will hate Russia and will emphasize NATO a lot more. Um, but uh, uh, 
forgot my train of thought. Go ahead. What about the, <laughs> well, Russia is a good thing to to, uh, to 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 go to on this well, one because I, Russia. I mean, this is a this is to Camille's point that he's been saying for for a long time. I mean, it's it's oh. you know don't don't on on the Russia thing. You know, don't look at what governments say. Look at what they do. And and you know, we were supposed to get this big shift, and we've talked about it a lot in the show. Is supposed to get this big shift towards, towards, to, towards Moscow, Putin. yeah, and away from if to use the seventies, sixties, seventies Sino-Soviet split as an example, away from um, uh, China and, uh, towards Russia. And, uh, you know, we've ended up doing the opposite where I've been quite friendly with China, backing off in the South China Sea, allowing the Chinese to sort of run the tables there, build their islands, navigate it, claim it as their own, not officially, of course. And then in, you know, Moscow, uh, you know, look, look what happened today. He reaffirmed America's commitment to NATO, specifically referencing Article 5, whereas at the RNC, I remember in a news alert when I was at the RNC in, in Cleveland. That Republican he's, National Convention for he, you normies out yeah, there. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, if they're getting this far, they've got to know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it said, like, he wouldn't defend Tallinn, and we talked about that here. Uh, he wouldn't defend Tallinn if Soviet troops went sort of barreling in. Uh, and now he's explicitly saying three things that I thought were interesting today. One was the NATO thing. The two, he said um, that Russia, specifically by name, has to stop meddling in Ukraine and, and, and shouldn't be supporting the Assad regime. And then the third thing, which was slightly more oblique to American ears, but definitely not for Poles, said, you know, we just gave our first delivery of natural gas, American natural gas to Poland. We're opening up that market. It's a great boon to American producers. But you will never be held hostage to a single supplier, which is Gazprom, is the Russian state oil and, company. And that, Rosna, and that message was not just for Poland. Uh, Poland was in the middle of doing this, uh, what's called the East Seas or the uh, the Three Seas Initiative, which is a, an ad hoc kind of seat of the pants, broader Visegrad, Central Eastern Europe, former commie uh, countries uh, grouping that the Polish government has kind of thrown together. But the one issue that they care about the most besides uh, you know, they want they would like more EU subsidies and not less as, as what yeah. they're getting is energy independence because all those people uh, depend on Gazprom and that monkeys with their sense of democracy and independence there. And so uh, Trump is uh, announcing the sort of ratifying a liquid national uh, natural gas thing there. There's other similar things happening in Croatia right now or about on, on the verge of being approved. So, yeah, he did emphasize that I would uh uh, uh, back you up a little bit on that as well. He d he mentioned three things today in his speech. It's a very interesting speech. Uh, uh, the American media didn't really uh, uh, kind of do any pre-writing about this, but the you could tell by the way that Trump administration people were talking about it that this was intended to be a big foreign policy statement about where they were. This was supposed to be along with kind of a triangle of speeches, uh, the Saudi Arabia speech in Riyadh. Um, in which he says, we're not going to lecture you about what you're going to do, but you also need to do something about terrorism. You people, not necessarily us. Um, his Part speed partners, not perfection. Something along those lines. So. Um, you could you could say the Brussels speech at a, a NATO headquarters that he did uh, not long, five days after that. I would also put in the little Havana speech about the Cuba policy, which kind of reasserted a Monroe doctrine type of uh, concept of spheres of influence. But today was a big declaration. He says, you know, we are here to defend Western civilization. Uh, kept hitting this point a lot. The West um, and our values. And we, this is Stephen Miller fingerprints. Stephen all Miller over, yeah. all over. Stephen Miller, uh, Bannon. 
uh, yeah. Sebastian Gorka. It's all is these this, people. Is this Bannon? And, I mean, it's all yeah, for sure. It's that yeah. wing of Trumpism. Yeah. Those people and, and Mike Flynn would that be a, wing of that. Trumpism was supposed to give us non-interventionism. Like, but that but you have to give us if you want to if you like, want to bend the ones your, who were hostile to, to NATO before. Right. But listen up. Um, yeah. If you want to be Pat Buchanan in this world. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, basically modified Buchananism as a, as much as we can apply it. If you actually hold power. Mm -hmm. Pat Buchanan's never going to hold power. His ideas are never going to fully hold sway. This is as close as you're ever going to get. So they might like they might be hostile to a bit of uh, uh, of NATO, but in a real world, you, you're not going to like suddenly break apart NATO. That's just not in the cards. But what you will do is you will emphasize, as he did again today, as he did in Brussels at the NATO headquarters, emphasize that the European partners have to pay for their share. They have to think of themselves as dealing with this problem. This is something that he, that he asserted in all of his different foreign policy speeches. In Saudi Arabia, he said this has to be solved by you people. We will help you and we'll put, point you in these directions. People kind of miss it because he's so full of bluster, right? We're never going to do red lines again, but we're no longer going to lead from behind and all this kind of stuff. He sounds like he's talking tough. He's doing the same with North Korea, as we'll talk about probably a little bit later, too. Um, he sounds like he's talking tough, but actually what he's saying in North Korea as well is like China and Japan really need to deal with this. And I, I'm going to act like I'm a crazy person over here because maybe that'll encourage them to deal with it because they're worried about me acting all crazy. But what he's saying is that he's trying to devolve responsibility. The speech today was he was trying to and I there's many things that I disagree about in the speech and I wrote about it recent uh, today. And I think he especially gets free trade wrong in a way that's grievous and uh, and will do damage to his concept of what also Western, not surprising Western civilization is. But what the speech can be read accurately, I think, is an attempt to summon the will. He was trying to say that the the great Polish kind of resistance and persistence throughout the centuries, the millennia of them being oppressed by their neighbors. It is a really remarkable story, bullheaded, wonderful people that they are to resist and thrive as much as they have in this context. He's saying we need that kind of will to fight the new civilizational battle, which is against radical Islamic terrorism. Things start to kind of break down there. But it was an attempt to infuse that in other people more than it was an attempt to say America is doing this in your face right now. So if you're looking, if you're if you're trying to look for green shoots from a non-interventionist point of view, there are some. He's America's still going to be in the central role. Trump is still going to be Trump and weird, and he's going to be erratic, do things and do things wrong. Um, but he's also. Uh, to a, a degree that's more significant, I think, than Barack Obama did in, uh, you know, articulating a leading from behind type of thing. He is talking about you people need to take more responsibility. And even in the people that he's pissing off, including everyone in the G20 right now in Hamburg, um, you know, Macron is now running the world. Him and Merkel are like are reasserting themselves. Uh, the EU just signed a gigantic trade deal with Japan uh, today, uh, or at least the uh, the uh, the preliminaries for for ratifying this. And all of their quotes were like, "In a time where the U.S. is going protectionist, we're going to keep the flame alive." So even when he's wrong, and he is often, he's kind of provoking people to take more responsibility. And I think that is a heartening thing. But but provoking people to take more responsibility, and from a trade standpoint, perhaps leaving the United States in a more isolated place. I mean, absolutely. we've also seen Which reports big, this big week problem. as well about, I yes. mean, I don't even know that we're strengthening our bonds with China. It's certainly not, the, the relationship is perhaps not as icy as people suspected it might be, but China is definitely trying to strengthen their bonds with um, our neighbor to the south, with whom we do a 
great deal of trade to the benefit of many American people. It's not just illegal immigrants streaming across the border for uh, anyone who who thinks that's the case. Um, So that is potentially problematic. I mean, it is certainly a great thing when European nations are trading with one another. I prefer that to the alternative. Um, but it would be nice for Americans to be involved in this. And that just does not seem to See, be a priority this is, for the Trump administration. Uh, this is the thing, is that is that when, I mean, Trump isn't this, the administration isn't this, and it never presented itself as there was a sort of hopefulness of certain people that said that there's, you know, really vigorous Buchananite isolation history. I believe this for a long time, too. Um, but here's the thing is that, you know, when I uh, interviewed Samantha Power recently, one of the questions I asked her at the end, this is a woman who wrote A Problem from Hell, the sort of handbook on how to make an Iraq-like intervention. America should never stand by as in the 90s, as the Rwandan genocide happened, as all these other genocides happened. She mentions Cambodia in mm-hmm. the book, and we you know, stood around and did nothing. America has to get in there and actually do something. And then uh, Samantha Power got into government. And then she was confronted by the realities of government and the interconnectivity of all of these things, and especially at the UN. I mean, she's the ambassador to the UN. So she sees this stuff up close, and then the picture becomes very cloudy then. And I asked her straight up, it's like, did, did that kind of hopefulness and this kind of sense that America can intervene for, for good change when you're in government? And the answer, as I recall, was, was more or less, well, sure, that's kind of how it goes. And this is the thing about the, you know, America come home. America get out of everybody's business. You can't. You really can't. And I, in so many ways, wish it could happen. It's not because I like the projection of American power and the, the, the sort of blood and treasure that always comes with it. Hopefully, you know, you're gaining more treasure and spilling little to no blood. But in the larger context of what it means to be a global power is that if you, it's almost like the argument that people made about the, the sort of, uh, you know, pipeline, uh, the, you know, Dakota access pipeline. You know, if you don't put the, you know, the, the, the stuff's not staying in the ground. If this company doesn't do it, it's not going to stay in the ground. The same thing is true globally. If you back away from something as a, as a power, and in this example, trade, we're talking about trade, it's not as if it just stays there. Some other big power will get in. But is it-, it is actually a zero-sum game in the sense, in a lot of senses, mm-hmm. that when Ma- America retreats, and again, this doesn't mean that you have to intervene in Iraq, et cetera, and, or, you know, Afghanistan, I think, is different, but... It's not as if when you back out, it's, you know, the, the, the balance becomes more but is stable. It, but isn't the issue it, not... It, the, 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 what ends up happening uh-huh. is the second you go away, the second you bluster too much, as Donald Trump is doing, you see all these other governments, you know, downshifting and getting, you know, getting ready and hopping in and doing aggressive trade deals to isolate you, moving troops to kind of, you know, exert their sort of regional power and spheres of influence, as Matt said before, which are coming back in a sort of much more vigorous way than they have since the end of the Cold War, especially when it comes to Russia, especially when it comes to China. And as America retreats from the scene and doesn't make its, you know, sort of power known, and again, I do not mean that in an escalation of hot wars anywhere, that other countries will step in. But isn't the isn't the fundamental issue there that the not only not only is he retreating from the scene mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, our foreign policy presence, in terms of sort of bad mouthing NATO, which he's not doing anymore. Interestingly, of course, because he got um, into government and he yeah, realized that it's not that easy. But, but this is the thing. It's it's 
it's not as though he is actually limiting our commitments abroad and in the Middle East where we've been, we are still actively engaged um, in important ways. In fact, more actively engaged than we were um, 12 months ago. Um, But we still find ourselves economically isolated because that is, in effect, the policy of this particular administration. Their America first position is economic protectionism. They're fine with these trade deals taking place. And it's true. I think that the the belligerence of the Trump administration, um, not so much from a foreign policy standpoint, because most of that stuff feels status quo, I suspect, to the Europeans, but certainly with him aligning himself with the the Brexiters mm-hmm. um, and being very vocal about that, even withdrawing from the Paris deal in the way that he did, um, all of those things perhaps are causing the 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 sort of some of the economic integration that's taking place there, the cooperation that seems to be coming to yeah, they coming have brutal brutal but consequences. But it's hard for me to believe that someone who was genuinely interested in sort of pulling back the U.S.'s military footprint um, would not be able to maintain and perhaps even expand trade relationships because the reality is that there are plenty of these European countries that actually want to see that sort of thing. Sure. Um, do, and, I mean, and, do, and in terms yeah. of the partners that you preserve by sort of playing, playing uh, nicer with NATO and maintaining the relationship, if only uh, sort of demanding that they pay a bigger price, which, I mean, relatively speaking... I guess it's just a practical matter. It's just a matter of them being more engaged economically. You don't need to do that publicly. Difference. I really don't think but you need to do that. You could have both of those you things. Don't you don't need to. The Barack Obama administration was, was, asking, too. was asking in a way, very, I mean, they weren't, by, incidentally, what do I mean by publicly? Yeah. Making this a thing where you're tweeting and tub thumping and screaming yeah. about it all the time. The Obama administration was consistently asking for European countries sure, to sure, get sure. to their 2% of GDP as, as to the defense. In, incidentally, by the way, Poland yeah. does so. In the the reason they do so is because they're afraid of who? Sure. <laughs> Russia, but right? I mean, who you don't care. But here's, but here, yeah, just I want a you quick, to come just back a quick, on the point you were making yeah, before. Just a quick, po- I'd, I'd just a quick point on that is that what I'm trying to say is that is not, you know, I don't want to confuse the two things of interventionism as military interventionism and kind of what people derisively call globalism. But what <laughs> these ding dongs don't realize and what they're starting to realize and these ding dongs in the administration are starting to realize is it's absolutely tied together. This stuff is not really that independent. So for instance, Poland today, what did we just do with the Poles? We sold them an enormous amount of Patriot missiles, mm-hmm. right? So the military policy and the economic policy that America, trade policy that America is, is, is trying to formulate or reformulate with Poland is inextricably linked to the Russia issue. It just is, right? This happens all over the place. To take them as separate things saying, you know, for instance, on, on Europe, the way that the Trump administration has done all this stuff, this absolutely, you know, belligerent, drooling, you know, screaming, chest thumping way is bad because um, for a variety of reasons. But if you're going to pull out of Paris, Paris is a, is a, is a big thing. You're going to annoy people with that. Sure. And it's kind of expected in a way. When you go to, to European capitals and you lecture people. You know how difficult it is, I mean, to, to actually negotiate other things? And a good example of this is watching Theresa May 
trying to negotiate the Brexit uh, sure. uh, thing. The, the Europeans are really fucking them over. Yeah. They're trying to be as hard and difficult as possible. There is a reason for diplomacy. It's not just being nice to people. And no, we don't like Donald Trump because he's a bit brutish. And the guys in the past weren't as brutish. You know, it's kind of the same thing. It is very, very different telegraphing this stuff because it's not that Angela Merkel's feelings are hurt. It's that she's also, and her party is also responsive to the German electorate. And she has to, you know, play hardball with Trump too. The Germans hate Donald Trump. They hate the American government. And if you seem pliant, I mean, remember the way that uh, Brits responded when Tony Blair was considered to be George Bush's quote unquote poodle? Uh They uh don't like these things. So the whole thing is a series of interconnected gears that Donald Trump thinks he can just go in, start screaming and hollering. This has a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of ripple effects. Michael, when you set this up, you you talked about the, uh, the video that the president of the United States shared on Twitter. Yeah, um, that a little discursive sent, tonight. Yeah. Sent people into into a bit of uh, an outrage. Some people, anyway, some more than others. Uh, particularly yeah. the uh, the good folks at CNN. Um, they, in fact, were very very upset. Yeah. Uh, and immediately afterwards, uh, we heard a lot of familiar conversation um, about essentially speech that could provoke people to violence, the likelihood that this particular video might, in fact, have serious repercussions. Um, and didn't wasn't so long after that, that just a day ago, I think it was, today's, uh, what, Thursday? So this is just a day ago, um, that we got word that CNN had found the mm. not young person, but apparently man, man a uh, middle-aged shocking man. <laughs> wow shocking a middle-aged man a middle-aged man writing making, crazy uh, things making on videos putting yeah. them on the internet and um in addition to putting these videos on the internet uh he has also published other things on the internet yes. that are perhaps uh anti-semitic perhaps um, yeah. i guess putting stars of david uh next to the uh the or Jews on the foreheads yeah. of, of the jewish people who yeah. happen to work at cnn yeah. um maybe it was an accident uh, yeah. but probably not probably. but in either case um <laughs> it's probably they, a huge accident they send an email to the guy having identified him uh we don't know what the email said but before and this is very important sent the email but before they ever talked to him the guy issues an apology um, and when CNN actually discloses all of this in the article, um, the specific language that's used at the end is uh, CNN is not publishing Han. Han is it Han, Han asshole? Asshole? It's Han Asolo. Yeah. Yeah. Han Asolo. This oh, is I like see, South Park. I see it's what like you did there. I was actually reading it somewhere. <laughs> I, I'm reading the CNN copy with has the asterisks over the S. Yeah. Um, Bunch of cowards. <laughs> but name, name because he is a private citizen who has issued an extensive statement of apology. This is very important. Uh, showed his remorse by saying he has taken down all of his offending posts. And because he is not going to repeat this ugly behavior on social media again, in addition, he said his statement could serve as an example to others not to do the same. But CNN reserves the right to publish the, his identity should that change. Now, the but I added for emphasis and the question to you two fine mm. gentlemen, and I already think, uh, hell yeah, it's a damn threat. Um, is this a threat? How could it not be? I, mean, I want, because Andrew, the guy who, who, who wrote this, 
um, I think is a very good journalist and I think he's an incredible, he used to be an oppo researcher. I think he's mm-hmm. an incredibly good sleuth, um, which means four, by four Republicans, uh, four Republicans. And by the way, which means that if he could dig this guy, somebody, this, I, somebody else I will. could probably I'd be shocked if it hasn't been done yet. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but, but it's possible that, you know, I think a lot of the people that do this type of digging are very good at it are also like Redditors. <laughs> so maybe he's got some protection there, well, not, but not enough. Apparently I, I, I it was poorly worded uh, when people say that it, it's trying to absolve somebody. I think it's a threat. It's saying that, like, you know, I don't think there's a quid pro quo going on. I don't think they talked and said, here, here's here's the deal. Yeah. I think he's saying that, you know, I will protect this guy's anonymity. This is my guess of what his thinking is. Because, and we've seen this with internet mobs before, um, I've seen it with internet mobs before, is you reveal this guy's identity and his life is over. You have to understand now that much like, unlike in the past, the second somebody is exposed for doing this kind of thing, which is repulsive and repugnant, his, he's never going to get a job again, and he is screwed for a very long time. So that is actually something to really consider. That's a, that's a real thing. It's a, a real, real thing. thing. But I mean, but, but the folks at CNN yeah. seem convinced that this they didn't do anything wrong, that this is totally fine, and there was no threat made. In fact, when you watch well, you can't acknowledge like, that. them talking about this, because they are, in fact, the story. And quite frankly, like since the CNN Trump thing exploded again, they have been the story, and it is the only thing that, that sort of is talked about. Um, I mean, Matt, do you do you similarly agree that this was in effect a threat? And if so, why is it that none of the fine journalists at CNN seem to recognize that that is what happened here. Let's imagine are not apologizing. You defend your own sloppiness. Let's let's imagine this world and yourself. Let's just say that it's a New Yorker story. Mm -hmm. Someone thought the New Yorker, like they chased down weird rabbit holes uh, for the sake of doing it. Right. So you chase down the weird rabbit hole like who? Okay, who's the rando that made this gif? And in the in the process of doing that, they discover that he's X person. And so they look at his other gifts and they see some weird shit. And so they go and talk to him. And in the process of talking to him and he understands and realizes that they now know who he is and who his identity is. He has this epiphany or a panic attack or something. And he, (laughs) yeah, much more like a panic attack. Um, uh, And so they describe him. Uh, in that moment of of talking about the panic attack and why it would be a disaster if this came out and how he uh, feels the sense of remorse. And they would describe and they would kind of give you an indication of it, whether it's real remorse or not remorse. And they would tell the story and they wouldn't have a sentence explaining the rationale for why they don't use his name in this case, because it would be understood. Mm-hmm. You're doing a story. It's a very good point. It's, it's like it's it's disproportionate. Like, uh, yes, it's it's newsworthy. It's worth pursuing this, but it's also super disproportionate. And to have it come from CNN itself after CNN has already become the story, it feels like you're the tip of a spear. This feels like you are serving some kind of attack dog function and you're including directly threatening language. It is if he misbehaves in the future, we're going to 
plunge the dagger into his ribs. That is directly threatening. There's just no way to wrap your head around but that. But is it a news story? Because, I mean, I was thinking about this a little bit because I, I, I'm i conflicted on on one. Is, is which part a news story? The, the, the outing uh, of him or? The, even identifying him. Mm-hmm. It's or a gif. Just talking about him. It's a gif that isn't particularly offensive. I mean, if you go over the, if, when the president separate, does it. That's a separate when, question. When yeah. the president tweets it, it takes on a different level of importance. Finding the provenance <laughs> of the person who put together these 28 frames of a CNN logo as a wrestling guy and then looking at the other things that he did and then trying to find out who he actually is. It's a thin read. Seems a little... Uh, over would, the top to me. I would say it's more of a human interest story. It's, it's a human an, interest it's story. It's an expanded talk of the town. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, look at us, you know, caterwauling here down this tangent. That's what that story is. And so in that case, you're not going to uh, publish a threat. And if someone a- acts in, with this like panic attack uh, talking about uh, uh, remorse and all this kind of stuff, you obviously aren't going to publish the person's name. I disagree. I've, I've come to this after okay. a lot of thought because um, I had a long time uh, back from Massachusetts too. And I thought about this because the story was like on the radio and it was like just hearing it all the time and seeing it on my phone and the rest of it. And I th- was thinking like, thank God, you know, you don't want this guy's life to be ruined because he's doing this, blah, blah, blah. And the more I thought about it and looked at the posts that he was making, um, anti-Semitic posts, anti-Muslim posts, deeply racist, anti-black racism, anti-Mexican racism, et cetera. You know, the real gamut of scumbag behavior online. And the more I was thinking about this, and again, I'm not, I didn't say I've changed my mind on this. I'm sort of in the middle, I guess. But I realized that these people are a stain and a blot on society. And it's gotten really out of control. It really has. It, I mean, it really, really, really has. The Redditors, the kind of anonymous types, there's a very, very, very good book about this that I reviewed for the long since uh, dead, uh, The Daily, the uh, iPad, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rupert Murdoch paper. Uh, re- re- That's book pre-Heat called- Street. <laughs> yeah, which is also dead now, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Is it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Died uh, last week. Yeah, yeah, died last week. Oh. I think they have a few more weeks left, but... Huh. This book that. was called We Are Anonymous by uh, the wonderfully named Parmi Olson, who got this incredible access to these anonymous, these people in anonymous that were just brutalizing, like lots of times young women, like sexually blackmailing them, having them send nude photos, sending those photos to their parents. Oh. Uh, it's it just like, I mean, really disgusting stuff. And every time, you know this is true, you know this is where the reveal is going to be, when they find the person and they drag them out of their, their basement, this, you know, sweaty, corpulent mess, probably in a rascal scooter, who's been beaten up and humiliated their whole lives, and they all of a sudden a take it. A rascal scooter? Yeah, it's the one that the yeah. people wait, no, they, I... are too fat to. <laughs> um, they're usually in the basement because they can't oh get upstairs because they're super fat. So this is always inevitably the person who is then taking their revenge on society. I mean, you see this in Twitter, too, and people in politics that, like, you get beat up by guys in fraternity houses and then become these snarky, nasty people on Twitter. But I think that there's maybe some service in this to reveal this person's name. You do not get to be anonymous. That is not a right that you have. You have rolled the dice in this and you fucking lost, buddy. Here's the, and, and maybe, maybe, possibly, and I just finished one point here, and maybe possibly the next time 
some of these anonymous scumbag bullies want to go in, whether it's brutalize a 15 year old girl or, you know, post, you know, hack somebody's account and post their private photos, nude photos online, or they want to take some journalist or some public figure and say, you fucking Jew and put like swastikas and stars of David and hook noses on them. Maybe of lingering in the front of their mind is that, you know, with an errant click, I could be exposed and my life could be destroyed, could potentially rain some of this stuff in. Sorry to sound moralistic and boring and school marmish, but I see it too much and it offends me deeply. I think we've just heard the conversion points when Michael Moynihan became a vigilante. <laughs> I'm very excited about this. I'm like, the I'm, possibilities are endless. He's gonna I'm like start, Curtis Sliwa. He's going to start a, a, a new website. It's going to be called Squawker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be financed by Peter Thiel. Yeah. The or, anti-bullying or, or, anti website Kim, is full of bullying. Kim Deal. Uh, yeah. it's, it's the, the, Kim, Kim Deal? Kim Deal. Yeah, why not? Instead of Peter Thiel, have Kim oh, Deal. Oh, oh, I thought she was like being bullied by Kelly Deal or something. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a really uh, small reference for people. I don't, like, I don't know what's going yeah, on. Absolutely likely. But no, but that's Pixies, a, but that's that's a that's a question of like if in a world where Gawker still existed, we know that Gawker would have found this person and published. Oh them, my god, yeah, and we'd be laughing about well, it. Well, I mean, they're playing yeah, because that's Gawker. That's what they do. That's what they do. It's the fact that it came from CNN makes it kind of a little bit different. That CNN was the target of it, uh-huh. and then it feels oh, Gawker like, had published a name out of the gate, though. Yeah, and but, see, reputable news companies might publish this name. I, I could certainly imagine that happening. I, I wouldn't you expect that. Like at some point, I I fully expect that we will find out who did this. Oh, we're gonna find I'm out. Not, maybe, maybe. I mean, if 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 he if the if the CNN writer did find it, then I suspect somebody else can, of course. But um, you know, one of the weird things about this is when the one thing that gave me a little bit of pause and say like, okay, maybe it's good that they didn't publish it, because one of the things that is hard for people to realize. It was, it was a long time, but hard for me to realize is that when I read his statement, which is obviously, as Max said, a panic attack statement, totally. please don't, Clearly. please don't destroy my life. Um, you know, buddy, you're on the road to destroying your own life. Uh, the thing that made me think, oh, maybe you shouldn't destroy his life is because in his explanation, in his apology, it's bullshit. He's just, he's doing this because he got caught, not because he had a moment of moral clarity. But the one thing in it that I actually did believe, and I'll tell you why I believed it, when he said, I actually don't hold these beliefs. Totally. I totally believe that. And the reason I totally believe that is because I have in the past year, actually, on multiple occasions met people who are self-described trolls, people that no one's ever heard of, et cetera. And they're like, no, we, we don't believe we, any we of this We know a few of the most prominent ones on, in the world, probably. Well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they're like, oh, we don't believe this shit. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a journalist and you're going to just say that to me, obviously. And the more you talk to them and the more you dig deep is they don't actually believe it. And what it is, is, you know, I think I might have told us the, the kid with the Trump sticker on his phone, uh-huh. who was the troll, self-identified troll, who said to me, um, I said, well, does it bum you out? It was right after the Syria um, rocket attack. Does it bum you out that this supposedly kind of, you know, uh, non-interventionist president? And he's like, what? And I said, you know, Trump. And he's like, well, yeah, I don't care. And I said, you have a Trump sticker on your phone. Yeah. Didn't I tell you this? And he said, oh, dude, no, no, dude. Dude, Trump's fucking awesome. He's like the ultimate troll. Actually said this to me. Swear on my life. Yeah. I swear on my life. And I had was another person with me. And he's like, he's... He's just like fucking doesn't care, dude. He just fucks with people and it's awesome. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, so you don't care about Donald Trump's ideology. You have a Trump sticker on your phone and on your laptop. You had a laptop on the table. And he was like, no, I don't give a shit. But this and, is- and, 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 and one final thing in this, huh? is, that, no, this is, is that, you know, it is 
when you see the society we live in, we talk about these issues a lot on the show, is that, you know, PC, the reason they go to, you know, racial slurs, they uh-huh. go to, you know, anti-Semitic slurs. Because it works. Well, it's because it is the forbidden zone. Yes. They look for, they probe those forbidden zones. Yeah, the Daily Stormer exists and there are Nazis on it. And there are, those people are real. That's, they're real. That's they're real. There are lots of them. But, but there are but wide swaths also of this wide other swaths thing that are fake. They're, that, that they themselves will be very forthright and tell you is that these are the places that thou shall not trespass. And I insist on trespassing them because it pisses people off and it's fucking great. And South Park did a whole thing on like, yeah. Yeah, do yeah. it for the lulls, man. You know, just keep it on going, ratcheting it up. You know, I, I can't. It's, I'm mystified by it, but it's not the same thing as like a Daily Stormer or Connor so, racist. So when you say that, then, I mean, I wonder if you still feel that. I do. It, it sounds like you said you did kind of qualify it there a and bit. say maybe maybe you shouldn't out him, but but at a minimum, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about uh, our, still our friend thug. Popat's uh, piece that he wrote about this, which is which is uh, it's a it's a fairly long read, but there are several points that he makes. One that CNN would have been within their rights to publish the guy's name. Yeah. Um, that the threatening of this young man or man, grown ass man. Um, was uh, wholly inappropriate and not something that a respectable media organization ought to do. I think we agree on on all of those points. Um, but the part where I started to quibble with him uh, is a section where he talks about sort of the legitimacy of talking about this. And the first thing he says is that he thinks it's legitimate story that the White House plumbs the depths of Reddit uh, for content to post on Twitter, which, one, I, I'm not we certain that's that true. that's what's happened. In fact, it the... The apology suggests that this is not the original thing and it had been remixed by someone else and it had apparently been making the rounds on the web. Um, He goes on to say that, you know, I think it's a legitimate story that the people who post Trump fluffing memes um, are also bigoted garbage uh, and also bigoted garbage that this is the community that the White House looks at, looks to for inspiration. Again, I'm not sure that they're looking to them for inspiration. I think the president is on Twitter Twitter, and he's retweeting things. And it's not surprising that there are people like this out there. They've been out there and we don't really know how many of them hold these views. And to the extent that we talk about this and we talk about it and treat it seriously as though it is uh, a signal of a barometer of where society is. We are in a, a horrible place where there are there are anti-Semites all over the Internet. The Internet is filled with anti-Semitism. How did this happen to us? Donald Trump did it to us. Um, I think it is it is an error. We are almost certainly treating these these people and this thing too seriously. Um, and I suppose the one question which we didn't really evaluate, but it sounds as though we, we largely agree, I suspect, that, you know, is this image of the president wrestling a man, Vince McMahon, with a CNN logo superimposed over his face, is it a threat to anyone? Um, it certainly didn't seem like it to me. It seems ridiculous. Um, it's a threat, but it doesn't to, seem like a threat. It's a to threat CNN. to those who want the presidency or the United States government to act with a certain uh, style of dignity. And yeah, that's it. which is not going to happen. That's, that's not that, a thing. That, that I think a horse left the barn. Yeah, yeah. He, he gives you <laughs> he gives you his best shot when he's reading his prepared speech. I, I still to this day I love like his ad libbing. 
when he's reading his speech and he stumbles across something and he, he reads it and says, yeah, that's true. You know people, I, that's I serious. Didn't, I didn't actually read this speech that was written for me. I'm, this is the first time. This yeah. is really, this is good for both it's of us. It's commentary on, that's the, true. on the yeah. written word here. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, space is uh, again, so I think important. It makes it a human interest feature rather than the news feature and we can, we can uh, pivot away from all of this um, in that um, that's an interesting lesson to know if, like, if we know that this person, this random person, um, is kind of like a 47 year old troll, uh, in his spare time. I kind of want, I, I mean, I don't want to know anything about those people on some level, but I want there to be, um, in-depth discussions on individuals there to kind of explain where they're coming from. Cause it's, a, it's, 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 foreign stuff it's like being on mars for me i don't understand why anyone would do that but then again i don't understand why anyone would play video games like there's a bunch of things normal things that people do that i don't i only play one game it's only 2k i mean that's nba i just don't really play any so like y2k so like you do the bug no it's fine i'm not even can we cut that out in post nope we're gonna leave that in there can you just flag that can you time code that and get rid of it well maybe Um, we should pivot um because we only got so much time here and uh, i suppose the situation with North Korea is of some importance and significance. Uh, July 4th, uh, weapons activities mm-hmm. are happening. Uh, Moynihan, what's going on? Uh, should people be deeply concerned about what's happening here? Uh, haven't we seen this movie before? Uh, as David Byrne said, same as it ever was. I mean, yeah. it's it's really, I mean, there's nothing New here beyond the fact that this is uh, supposedly the successful testing. We have to caveat all this stuff with supposedly because we successfully. Haven't, we haven't confirmed. We haven't confirmed some yeah. aspects of it. This a test of an ICBM that could potentially um, hit Alaska. Look, I mean, Trump is to Matt's point earlier talking doing this kind of bluster, bluster, bluster. Let's try to get people's asses in gear. The Chinese are not doing what Donald Trump wants by by turning the screws and crippling or helping cripple the the North Korean economy, which is already crippled by its idiotic economic policies. Um, They're not doing that because Donald Trump, who constantly talks about deal making, President Duda today with the in Poland, he uh, went off script once when uh, he turned to him and said, you know, he's a he's a he's a tough bargainer. He's a tough deal maker. It's like this is literally the only way the man thinks. But one of the great realizations of this is that he's actually quite bad at it. He's not a very good deal maker. I mean, we see that in his, his really bad business enterprises in the past, too. But deal making in politics is, OK, what are you going to do for me? I, it's uh, I've said this a number of times before. In real estate, you crush the competition, they go away. China doesn't go away. You actually have to, you know, put a carrot on the end of that stick. And there's not, it's not clear that we've done anything, I mean, particularly the South China Sea, they've been doing that anyway. I mean, this is what, this is the, the, the rub here. This is what we've been upset about, about China's, China's policy in the South China Sea. Um, which China's argument, by the way, is, is it's called the South China Sea. <laughs> Let us do it. Pretty good it's, argument. It's compelling in a way. Yeah. Um, there's there's actually a lot of compelling <laughs> counter arguments. But um, so right now, the Donald Trump said today in Poland that, you know, we're going to have some pretty crazy uh, responses here. We've got some really severe stuff up our sleeve. And it just l- smacks of two things, of, of weakness and of somebody who knows not a thing of what they're talking about because everybody knows that you have no options, zero options. How does a state like North Korea exist from 1950, more or less, to today, 
having a sclerotic economy. It was actually the economy wasn't horrible in the 1970s and 80s. It's actually true. It was a, a weirdly kind of sunshine period for the, for the economy. But how does it survive for this long? Being the way that it is, well, it's pretty straightforward. There's no options. This is why nuclear weapons exist. I mean, even the North Koreans aren't particularly jazzed about using them. They don't want to because they understand that that's the end of the dynasty and that's the end of the regime. A lot of people might die, but they will too. No one's going to stand for that. It just exists to terrify your neighbors and to say, to force them into a position where, okay, come to the negotiating table. We don't negotiate with North Koreans. We, we actually go, any problem you have in North Korea, by the way, you go through the Swedish embassy that they actually have, of course, have an embassy there. Americans don't have even an interest section like we do in Cuba. So you go through them, you ultimately set up some sort of meeting and the meetings go like this. Here's what, what, what we want you to do. Here's how we think we should dial it down, et cetera. And the North Koreans nod politely. And then they just say, here's what you're going to give us. And if you don't, it's time for you to go. Okay? Sound cool? And then we give them bags of rice, and then they scrub off the American flags on it, and they, take the, they do this all the time. And that's it. We're at that point now. But no one suspected we had a point where it was a point of, of we thought it would be a point of diminishing craziness in the Kim dynasty as the world became sort of more free, more open, more liberal as communism contracted. The exact opposite has happened. It's the, 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 the pyramid has been inverted, as it were. I mean, it's like become crazier and crazier. Kim Jong-un is madder than his mad as a box of frogs father. Kim Il-sung was, you know, a statesman compared to, to his, his psychopathic son and his sociopathic grandson. But there's nothing over a barrel in a way that it's just that every Western power should essentially, and I think they are, saying, what do we have to give them that we can give them with the least economic impact that will entrench this regime further and have them stop this nonsense? The other gamble here is just let them keep shooting things into the ocean off of the Sea of Japan because they don't mean it. But somebody is going to get really, really mad soon, whether it's the South Koreans or the Japanese. The Chinese, again, they're all, their concern is a massive North Korean refugees coming in and an American client state on their border. That's all they care about. They want the North Korean regime to exist. Does Donald Trump understand this? It's not clear that he does. They have a vested interest in the, the, the perpetuation of this crime family for their own economic interests and their, for their own you know, border interests. So they're not, that's not a real thing. And increasingly, we understand it's not a real thing. The only thing that they can do is if they turn the screws on them, they lasted eight years, nine years through a famine in the 1990s. They came out the other one. The Cubans did the same thing. Scumbag dictatorships are resilient. So how does one deal with them? Well, short of bombing them, I was going to say back to the 7th century. They're about at the 8th century now. So why don't we try the 4th century? Bombing them into oblivion, which, which we can't do, and, and it would be disastrous for everyone. Pay the ransom. You just pay the ransom. The uh, uh, interesting thing that, that I think this illustrates, and this will be more um, conscious on people's lips sooner rather than later. Today in Poland, in the, in the uh, uh, press conference, Donald Trump said within about one minute of each other, you know, I'm not going to draw any red lines here. Mm. Uh, that's not what I do here. Like total <laughs> difference than, uh, than Barack Obama. And then sentence or two later, something's got to be done. Right. Um, and that actually doesn't necessarily contradict with one another, but it sets up this uh, feeling of disappointment. He's been saying this, the era of strategic patience is over. 
So now what we're going to discover is what happens when the era of strategic impatience is over, because it's just words. It's words. It's words that he's trying to use to pressure China and now Japan and South mm. Korea. Maybe South Korea could actually have some drills about people going underground and things like that, which they don't do uh, nearly as much as you might expect from someone. You and know, now they have a much more conciliatory government, by the way. The Moon government is very, very different than its predecessor. You can you can sit there and say that, uh, you know, we're changing everything now. We're going to be more rhetorically tough. Um but you're going to quickly run into your limitations. And they thought that they could drop bombs on Syria and drop the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan and act all nuts. I mean, they've said this. Nikki Haley has said this. Other members of the administration have said this. Like, we're being strategically weird and unpredictable. And that's going to make people want to come to the table. You know, and, and Trump said this in his press conference, too. Like, ah, you know, I got some strong ideas here. I don't want to do them. But, you know, they're all on the table. He's just trying to be like crazy guy in the corner. I don't think that China's convinced. Do you know where that doesn't work? The the country that produces Rodong Simong, the Korean party newspaper, which if you read the first two sentences of everything, kind of rhetorically outcrazies everybody. It's like, you know, running dog capitalist scumbag. Like it's like the most insane thing in the world. Donald Trump is like going mad and saying like, I, I, I'm, I'm saying this tough stuff. And like, you know, I said this, I, I threw one bomb over there at a, at an empty airport to a man who is gas babies. Yeah, it's not going to have that effect, by the way. Yeah. And like the, 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 the sort of verbal brinksmanship that, um, you know, do you remember? It, it, this was so crazy that everyone <laughs> learned it in school and it mm. might even be apocryphal. It's not really. Is Khrushchev banging his shoe at the UN. Oh, he's a little nuts. <laughs> it's like <laughs> we've moved beyond that, haven't we? Yeah. Like it was there was that the kind sting of sting didn't move beyond that. Uh, uh, I don't subscribe to that point of view. Oh yeah, the yeah. Russians yeah. do the Russians love their children too. Yeah. Uh it turned out the answer was no, by the way. Yeah. It was there was a study. Still don't. Still don't. <laughs> yeah. well, there was well, a study after the Cold I, War. I saw them on Coney Island. Oh, that's right. right. We're doing July the full 4th. circle. That's a bookend. That, that conversation. I mean, I suppose it's not it's not just verbal verbal brinksmanship here either. I mean, it was just a, just a couple of weeks ago that they delivered an American citizen back home in a coma. Um yeah that they almost certainly put him in, uh, and he died a little while later. You're so, trying to bait Moynihan. No, honestly, it's another thing it to think a, of because they the have there are other hostages there. disastrous yeah. and catastrophic, and they don't really seem to have any great concern about any kind of punishment that the United States can deal out. Uh, the fact that their economy is already in ruins certainly suggests that uh, there isn't a great deal that you can do uh, with respect to sanctions, the the one thing that that there has been some talk about in recent months is uh, cyber warfare. That we might uh, launch some cyber tools and uh, underreported, um, unfortunately, because there are other important things going on, like doxing and uh, just gifts on the president's Twitter. It's hard timeline. to cyber attack a country that doesn't have an internet. Well, it's also it's also they have an intranet. Well, it's also potentially problematic for, <laughs> for you, you as do, a actually. as a country when some of your your cyber tools go uh, go missing and are wreaking havoc uh, around the globe. <laughs> yeah. And there's not a great deal that you can do to rein those things in. And that is that is currently happening with NSA tools being used by hackers, perhaps Russian hackers. Can I talk shit about my dad? That's his problem. Your dad? Yeah. Is he have is you ever he said anything nice about any him? of this? So my, I'm, I'm down in L.A. <laughs> like uh, two weeks ago. 
picking up Anthony Fisher's journalism award from the Southern California Journalism uh, Association, uh, which it's weird he won one and I didn't, and and uh, and I was there. So look who's in the corner with no microphone. Yeah, so exactly. What's up? What's up? Fucking revenge. Revenge is sweet, <laughs> isn't it? Pete Welch, great, great man, great American. Uh, worked, uh, you know, fighting the Sputniks for forty years, and uh, and his thing was like we have. Full satellite coverage over everything. We should be able to take all their missiles out, like in a heartbeat, and things like that. And I've been, you know, boning up on at least a little bit of reading about the scenario planning and things like that. The New York Times had had a refresh story a couple of days ago. They've just got artillery in the mountain, and it's pointed that direction. Mm-hmm. Like you can take out all the nuclear weapons that they might have and the things that might transport them. You could get lucky and get all of them, even though some of them are buried, some of them you can't find, whatever. Let's imagine that you get everything. They still got artillery on the mountain and they're going to kill 20,000 people. Yeah, yeah, no, it'd be a mess. Like, in a heartbeat. There's just no way around that. And people, I've seen people, like, try with a straight face to talk about acceptable casualty, you know, results. Like, 25,000 people, I mean, and it's more likely 200,000 people in in Seoul, and you've been there, Michael, and I haven't, Mm -hmm. but, like, it's it's just there. I don't get the sense that there's anyone in the the Trump White House who, who actually thinks that sort of thing, though. I hope I mean, not. Is it, is, it, is it likely? I really no, don't. I don't, I don't think, think it's likely. likely. No, no, no. And by the well, way, I just want to say Seoul is a great city. And people often say, like, oh, I want to go to Beijing. Everyone's going to Tokyo. You don't hear it about Seoul very much, but Seoul is, like, really, really fun. Um, not the most beautiful city in the world. You know, obviously, just kind of built after the war, more or less. Um, but a really, the, the Korean people are just, I had such great experiences there. And I really am desperate to go back. I wanted actually to try to go back this summer to do to do, to do do a story there. But Get some plastic surgery. I want to get some plastic surgery. I want to do mukbang. You know, the, the yeah. people that eat, uh, professionally eat on YouTube. Yeah. It's like a big thing in Korea. Oh, yeah. Didn't great... they just do that out Coney Island? Isn't that what you were there for? The, no. The no, he was there for a gangbang. <laughs> That's, <laughs> cool. That's what you, did you tell me that? That, Shh. that, um, oh, I have an, uh, some idiot wrote this because I think totally we're going long, right? Yeah. 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 Some idiot wrote this. Can I, can, I, can I do one from the Guardian today? Uh, yeah. You can. I've, I've got, I'm going to go back to the beginning. <laughs> okay. This is a Guardian thing. This is a headline uh, from, from, uh, the wonderfully named Minna Salami, uh, writing in, uh, the Guardian. Uh, the headline <laughs> headline of this, this is for you, Camille, because mm. this is the kind of shit that you love. I appreciate that. The headline is, the message from Jay-Z and Beyonce is not feminist. Huh. Here's the subhead. Is it 444? Is the name of the 444? Yes, it is. The name of 444? Yeah. That's his new record. Yeah. His new album, 444, is a plea for his wife's forgiveness, but their marital saga and her humiliation is not a story to challenge the status quo. Now, that's a sentence that doesn't mean anything. But I love this headline for one one thing, is that there is this policing, this ideological policing, um, of that things that are not supposed to be, they've never been proclaimed to be feminist. They didn't say that this is a feminist record or anything like that. But people are constantly denouncing things for not being something that they care a lot about. And I love this. This is like my favorite thing. Where I was like, you know, that song is not feminist. It's like, yeah, it's like a Robin Thicke song. I mean, it's like, <laughs> dude, what are you talking about? His dad is Alan Thicke. Are you telling like, me? That's the most important data point here. Are you telling me that the Fifth Column podcast is not feminist? I, I don't know. Even I, I, there used to be a bumper sticker <laughs> that was around like college towns. It said feminism is the radical idea that women are, are equal or I'm something. I'm pretty sure that's not 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 it. 
No, it's, but you yeah, know what no, I'm talking I about, right? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, the, that's the bumper, bumper sticker. sticker. I'm just pretty but that sure that was, I was looking about that, and I was like, man, I said, one of those feminism classes. That shit's all different. That's not what they're talking about at all. At all. It's like, I'm reading a Catherine McKinnon book, and it's like, you know, walking is rape. And I'm like, wait, what? That's not, do I have to like get on roller skates? Does that count? And like, I love this thing of like, now nah, the message from Jay-Z and Beyonce is not feminist. It's like, motherfucker, no one said it was. You know, it's like, uh, why are you, that's like saying the message a, from Jay-Z so in Beyonce is not post-structuralist. It's like, what? Who cares? What are you talking about? And I love this thing now is this, it's the, it's the, the, the instinct of the moment is to take all pop culture and drain the fucking fun out of it and insert your like idiotic politics. And then you get a piece out of it uh, because Mina Salami, who wrote this piece, doesn't have to know anything to write this piece, right? You listen to a record and you say, you know, this isn't the example that I would set. And Jay-Z could likely just turn around and say, you know, I'm, I'm a rapper, right? Yeah. I'm actually not. I'm a rapper. I'm not he's, like a priest. Or he's something. not. He's not just a rapper. He is. A he bad is rapper. like the. Well, one. I mean, this album just kind of is lame. I'm yeah. not interested in this crap. Uh, I would be fine if he was still retired. Um, but he is also the man behind Big Pimpin', and Big Pimpin' is a song where Jay is like riding on boats with hoes, like. That it, is to, definitely to the extent, that's a paradigm. Like <laughs> yeah. he, he invented the paradigm. Yeah. He at least perfected. <laughs> this is the thing I think is funny. I was going to ask you about this because it's not as like if Jermaine Greer, uh, who wrote the female eunuch, decided that she was going to like become, you know, Christina Hoff Summers or something. You could say Jermaine Greer is like no longer feminist or something, which mm -hmm. I still don't think wouldn't be true. Jay Z had videos with boats. Yes, full of. By your description, yes, women that you would call hoes. I think I think he would call them hoes. Yeah, this I know. I'm just the, saying. The, the, so what I'm just, saying is that it's not. A, I, I just want to just follow up on this yeah. one point, and then Please, I'm going to leave after this walk out. <laughs> I just want to point out it's not as if, as I said, Jermaine Greer, yeah. no longer feminist. This is Jay Z no. had boats of hoes. Boats. So if for hose. him to be feminist yes. would actually be a, the surprising headline. Not yeah. that he's not a feminist. Well, no, I think there maybe maybe this, feminist. but maybe it is oh, feminist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, maybe yeah. it is feminist to look at her, to look her in her face and say to her, You know why? Thug them, fuck them, love them, leave them, cause I don't fucking need them. Take them out the hood, keep them looking good, but I don't fucking feed them. First time they fuss, I'm breathing. Talk about what's the reason? I'm a feminist every sense of the word, bitch. Better trust and believe them. Wow. This is Jay Z. And you know, I mean, it's just totally lyrically, stunning. Lyrically, that's that pretty. This like, guy whoa. is not writing now for Teen Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> this guy being Jay Z. Um, what is? What was that? That's also in the song. Oh, I thought you were having a, a stuttering fit. Yeah, that's in the no, song. It's ra, uh, 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 uh. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you should probably just say ride. It's probably it's more clear. It, it's but you're it's the whole thing that. You're yeah, but doing. I mean, you're not. I'm not hearing it. It's just you're telling me. <laughs> just read the lyrics. I'm sorry. Okay, but right. anyway, Jay Z is um, not a feminist. Yeah, Jay Z is not shocking. A shocking. Uh, next, not next up, uh, tomorrow's edition of the Guardian. Luther Campbell, also <laughs> not a feminist. <laughs> also, again, I would dispute this to the extent you are straightforward with them, and they also are engaging them? in this relationship with you, the hose. Oh, okay, and you're calling you. them hoes to their faces. It's amazing. Camille. I mean, this is uh, this is literally the most nonsense thing you've you know? ever said in my life. That's I'm, like saying, you know, Bill Connor was like hosing black people, <laughs> so he's actually not a racist. Not the same. Because he was thing. straightforward about it. Not <laughs> the same thing at all. Uh, Matt, do you have you encountered any idiots that wrote things that you would like to highlight, or or brilliant people? You don't you don't have to denigrate people if you if you don't want to. 
No, nah, man, I'm good. No, you're good. Okay. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, his July 4th mm-hmm. uh, tweet. Um, Colin Kaepernick decided that uh, in order for him to truly celebrate Independence Day, uh, the the Independence Day that uh, robbed his ancestors of their independence, he needed to, uh, to find his way home. And uh, he posted a video uh, of himself uh, in Ghana. Uh, apparently meeting people. There's a, a beautiful moment where there's a sign on the wall that says, welcome home, Colin. Uh, I don't know how he, he determined. From Ghana? I, I don't know how he determined that Ga- from Ghana is the place where he needed to go back to. But he is not uh, making an error when he goes to visit the people who, in fact, robbed his ancestors because it's very likely that some of his ancestors, to the extent they were enslaved in uh, in the Americas, uh, would have gone through one of those ports in Ghana and perhaps been traded by the ancestors of the people who he was partying with. So perhaps that's what he meant, but he just has this huge smile on his face and seems to be celebrating pretty passionately. Um, I am a weirdo. My politics are a narco-capitalist. I don't like government, broadly speaking. Uh, I have a genuine appreciation and admiration for the unique, weird thing that is the United States of America, warts and all. Um, and the reason that I have it is is because um, there's something pretty remarkable about the idea of individual liberty and freedom. And before this pioneering idea was enshrined in the founding documents of this country, um, that was a pretty alien idea everywhere at all times in Africa, in Europe, in the Americas broadly, all of the the wonderful phony imaginings that one has about a paradise prior to the United States existing and shit hell on earth afterwards is completely ridiculous. Things have been bad here. Slavery was damn terrible. Jim Crow afterwards was also awful and reprehensible. Um, The possibility, the imagining of a world in which we overcome that stuff, in which freedom is the baseline, is kind of a thing that is born out of the tradition that the United States was effectively founded to personify, and it was imperfect. It did not achieve that aim from the outset for obvious reasons, because the world had not been, broadly speaking, free. Um, but there's something remarkable about the fact that they they kind of tried at it, um, and something even more remarkable about the fact that day by day, Month by month, uh, despite uh, us trying to screw it up in any number of ways, uh, we seem to get a, seem to get a little closer to it. Um, so this is stupid. Um, and to everyone that posted uh, a message about how they don't celebrate Independence Day because of the horrible things that the United States has done in the past, you're also a moron. Um, and you're not thinking about this very deeply. And you're ahistorical nonsense. Um, is just that. Um, I'm not like weirdo with a red, white, and blue tattoo and all 50 stars like tattooed, uh, over his, his, his right breast. Not yet. Um, not, not yet. Maybe, maybe that will happen at some point. I am skeptical of our various military interventions abroad. Uh, but when I see people, um, sort of toss those things up, uh, while they routinely engage in kind of their partisan back and forth, rooting for their team, right or wrong, um, only concerned about drone conflicts, for example, when it's a Republican and not a Democrat um, or vice versa. Um, 
Like seriously? Really? As someone who wrote a book uh, called The Declaration of Independence with a TS. Oh, co- did you write that? Co-wrote a book. With, That's a uh, great Nick, book. Nick Gillespie. Don't know, but we tried. Um, there's something beautiful about the way in which these ideas, when they're introduced, not just in the Declaration of Independence itself in 1776 and the U.S. Constitution 11 years later, um, also, Adam Smith was talking about this stuff in 1770. Liberalism as a concept happens as an idea, begins to happen as an idea there. And it happened, including among Thomas Jefferson, with imperfect people. He was a slave owner. Uh-huh. His kids were slaves. It sucked. It's like there's, it's all messed up. However, if you have any kind of version of the civil rights movement that somehow writes out Martin Luther King, that somehow writes out how he referred to the Declaration of Independence, not our book, sadly, um, but the actual uh, founding document as a promissory note, then what are you depriving yourself of? My God, that was the whole idea. These all men are created equal is this incredible ideal. The founding fathers themselves fell short of, but they created this kind of North Star that we've been going to ever since. And to reject all the pageantry this part of the pageantry sucks if you don't like fireworks it's kind of it's not that fun yeah, yeah. maybe you, you the, go to the, the baseball civil religion game. is a little annoying at you times. don't want to see the camo uniforms yeah. in the padre game whatever i get it we've all been in our own ways i left the country on july 4th 1990 <laughs> one-way ticket i'm getting out of here fuck you right all that fine however my god there was something absolutely beautiful a revolutionary document in every sense of the word on July 4th, 1776. And if you can't see how that resonates in a positive way now and feel some sense of like the pride and also inspiration of it, that we can pursue happiness, how we see fit, what a private and weird and wonderful thing. No one had ever really come up with that idea before anywhere near a governing document. I think that's right. And it's, it. it, no, I, I think that's right. I think both of you put it, you know, in ways that you can't really improve upon. But one slight addendum to it is that, you know, we always look at the country that we grew up in as, you know, we rebel against our parents in a way. We just go to try to find something better. We become political pilgrims or we become briefly students that, you know, go to England and come back with an affected accent or say how much... Never lost it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm William F. Buckley's third son. Um, (laughs) And, you, you know, you go... You go and you say, oh, they do everything so much better there. And you try to pick and choose. And why can't we be like France for X, Y, and Z reason? You know, it is really important that we never suffer from historical amnesia. And I don't, I don't think we're in danger of that right now. I think quite the opposite, actually. And I think the opposite mm. thing is to is to dwell. Uh, dwell is the wrong word. But I, I think it's to focus almost exclusively on the negative aspects of people of the past, not understanding the times that they lived in, not understanding the different kind of social mores, which we do understand when we go to other countries. We go to other countries and they do something that's completely horrible. And it's like, you know what? Well, it's a kind of cultural thing that they do, right? And we explain it this way. That actually exists in time also. Mm -hmm. There's time shifts for this, is that cultural norms were different and we find them morally offensive today. But the other thing about it is that you're not allowed to speak with such passion on issues if you know nothing about them. If you know that Thomas Jefferson, you know, likely, either he or his brother, likely bore 
Sally Hemings five or she bore five of his children or, or, you know, two, I think, died in childbirth. But ultimately three children, I think, was the, the final number. And if we know that fact, we know that he owned slaves and we know that he is, you know, one of the great, uh, you know, founders of American president, great figures in American democracy, the third American president. Um, that's not enough. I'm sorry, it isn't. You can read John Meacham's book. It's a very popular history of it. You can read Christopher Hitchens actually wrote a very good uh, book on Thomas Jefferson. And what you discover in that book is the incredible complexity of Jefferson as a man, of him grappling with this introducing things, uh, pieces of legislation, et cetera, that fall, again, very short of our moral standard, thankfully, Mm -hmm. of, of today's moral standard. But to read the thing, you know, in toto, see what, what in the time, not even just understanding that the, that the culture was different, but also understanding the difficulties and his swing between positions on this and justifying this bad behavior, meaning, you know, as a slave owner and ultimately kind of writing against it. There's, it's a really complex portrait. Just put it that way. It's something that can't be, can't be summed up in a two minute stupid end of podcast soliloquy. <laughs> but the reason that we don't condemn uh, Thomas Jefferson, just think of it this, this is the way you should think about it. The reason we don't condemn Thomas Jefferson as we do other figures in American history. I think we had a conversation recently, America had a conversation about John Calhoun hmm. of all people, which is, which is pretty black and white, much less so than Jefferson. The reason we don't write him out is because there is complexity in it. And to not recognize that complexity is to admit your ignorance in one way or to admit your political fanaticism. For Colin Kaepernick to go and deify Ghana, whereas my friend Shane and I had a, had a friend named Sammy from Ghana who was desperate to get the hell out of Ghana hmm. and went to Carnegie Mellon for his graduate degree. And I think he settled in Indianapolis and is living quite happily and, and making a ton of money in America. And he has the, quite a different... Now, Colin Kaepernick was making a lot of money in America and wanted to very brief stay in Ghana. And I'm sure he wants to go back to his rather large house in California. But that's fine. It's fine to say, I don't like the system of government. It's fine to wear a Fidel Castro t-shirt if you want to defend these things. But I don't think he has the kind of, you know, intellectual tools to do so. It's kind of a bit of a fit. It's a bit of a you know, kicking your feet and, and making a fuss and having a feeling and an instinct and rebelling against your parents. Because, you know, running away and saying on July 4th, I want to be in a different country because this one's treated me horribly. It doesn't seem to mesh with the facts. And, and, and not and not me in this particular yeah. case, apart from from making you uh, wealthy playing playing football, which is. Yeah, I mean, like you can be wealthy playing football and still be the victim it. of it's a horrible awesome. society that's done horrible it's things possible, to you. It's possible, except he's not. possible for sure. Um, what to the slaves is the 4th of July? Um, Frederick Douglass. Uh, Frederick Douglass is, uh, I guess, remarks um, which are, are written down uh, and you can you can read. Um, you should go read it uh, if you haven't. Um, I had not read it in a while. Uh, I read it today on the train on the way over here. And um, I, I have a weird, I understand the desire to uh, stumble across like Baldwin's writing and something this remarkable from Frederick Douglass and try to bring it into the present and make it your own to borrow from it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong with not reading those things like in a way that allows you to try to get into the mind of the person who wrote it at the time that they wrote it. 
a man who had actually been enslaved in this country, talking to a room full of people who don't look like him in a country where there are many people just like him who are in chains. Um, and it's illiterate, rem- too. It is remarkable to read it from that perspective. I'm, I'm getting, like, goosebumps. I have literal goosebumps right now. That could be something else. Um, <laughs> but we should go. Uh, we're okay. done. Um, we'll come back next week, maybe. We'll do this again. Every week, man. Okay, good. If we make it. Every week. All right. Fisher, thank you. We, we, we Bye. Bye. Bye.